You're listening to the Inner Field Trip Podcast, designed to help highly sensitive people and deep feelers explore unconscious biases so they protect their energy, stand on the side of justice, and become better ancestors. My name is Lisa Renee Hall, your host and tour guide. In this episode, I'm in conversation with Carlin Purcell. I became aware of Carlin back in 2009 when I won an award for Excellence in Technology and Innovation given to me by the Black Business and Professional Association, or BBPA for short. Each year, they host an award ceremony called the Harry Jerome Awards. And if you want to learn more about Harry Jerome, just check the show notes for this episode for more. And what the BBPA does is they commemorate excellence within the Black community, in particular amongst those who pursue volunteer work, community action, entrepreneurship, or in my case, technology and innovation. And at the time, Carlin was the chair of the Harry Jerome Awards. And I remember when I attended the awards ceremony in 2009, Carlin was hosting from the podium at the front of the room, and she was in this gorgeous emerald green dress. And I thought to myself, she just exudes sophistication and beauty. Fast forward to 2019, and a colleague introduced me to Carlin at an event that we had attended. And from there, Carlin and I became fast friends. Every time I see Carlin appear in my newsfeed on Instagram, it really puts a smile to my face. And the reason being is because, again, not only does she exude beauty and sophistication outwardly, but she also does so inwardly as well. And that's part of the work that she does. She helps corporations to create truly inclusive companies Part of her work is to help individuals within these corporations to unpack their unconscious biases using what she calls emotional intelligence. And the work of unpacking unconscious biases can get messy and chaotic. And so I wanted to ask Carlin in this conversation, how can we maintain our beauty when we are doing work that reveals our ugliness? Because that's what unconscious biases are. It's the ugly parts of ourselves that we don't want to face. But we need to face those parts of ourselves and come to terms with our unconscious biases so that we can be more equitable and more inclusive, not only in our companies, but in our communities and in our homes. As a first-generation Canadian from St. Lucia, I was curious about how her immigrant experience both prepared her and maybe didn't prepare her for life in Canada. And so these are the questions I ask her in part one of this conversation. You'll find her background really fascinating, especially around the impact of colonization on the island that she was born and grew up on. In part two of this conversation, I then ask her about emotional intelligence and the emotional tax that Black, Indigenous, and people of color pay working in corporations where they have to attune and fall in line with the dominant culture. Here's a bit more about Carlin's background. 
Carlin Purcell is a certified emotional intelligence and neural life coach with a keen focus on diversity, inclusion, and belonging. She is the chief executive officer of KDPM Consulting Group, Inc., and the founder of Sister Talk Group Leadership and Wellness Academy, a group dedicated to amplifying the voices of Black, Indigenous, and women of color on leveraging personal narratives as a catalyst of success. She has served on the board of the Black Business and Professional Association as a chair of the Harry Jerome Awards, as I shared before. And through Sister Talk Group, Carlin mentored and supported the leadership development of young girls in North America, especially in her birth home of St. Lucia. Carlin has also worked with UNICEF, the Toronto Police Service, and she's a regular guest expert on CityLine, the longest-running daytime lifestyle talk show for women in Canada. For more about Carlin, check out the show notes for this episode at www.innerfieldtrip.com. Now, here's Carlin. Carlin Purcell. Hello, sis. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. How are you? I'm awesome. I'm so happy that we're here together. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And in, in the introduction, I was sharing how seeing you in my feed just brings a smile to my face. And oh, I just love your essence and your being. So thank you for making time. Oh, no, thank you. And I feel the same way every time I see one of your videos or one of your posts, it's always just so impactful. And you have a way of just seeing into, I think the soul that's on the journey to becoming a better human And you always have the right words or, you know, when you share one of your vulnerable videos, which is full of so much power and strength, I'm always just so happy, so encouraged. And um, it's it's always a pleasure to see you online. So thank you. Thank you for just being obedient to your calling. (laughs) And that that word obedient can, it it tends to trip up people, right? It's, I think the word obedient has become associated with so, you know, such violence and, and uh, abuse. So how do you use that word and reclaim it? Oh, such a good question. I got goosebumps. I, as a Black immigrant woman whose childhood was stolen from her, um, I didn't really trust Carlin. Like, you know, that inner knowing that that place within yourself that you really know who you are. I didn't really trust her. So over the years, anytime she knocked on my door or she came forward with a message or she wanted to guide me towards a certain place or thing, I ignored her. I quelched her desires. I suppressed her voice. And most importantly, I just did not create space for her to have a seat at the table with me. And over the years, I learned actually that that in in itself is a violent act against self, against the body, against, you know, who I am becoming. And the distrust that was bred because of childhood, traumatic childhood experiences I've been carrying that along with me for so long. And I I became obedient to society's norms and conditioning around shame, where if something traumatic happens to you as a woman, that you don't talk about it, you carry the shame in silence. And in, in some way, shape or form, there's this unspoken... I guess you can say word or um, norm or 
policy that it's your fault and you have to fix it all on your own. And when I started reclaiming my power and understanding that, you know, what I go through in life happens for me and not to me, and I don't have to carry the burden of shame. I am not bad. Um, there's nothing wrong with me. I started taking that whole hold obedient hat over me and I started directing it towards self and towards my inner knowing. And I said, I remember asking myself, what would happen if I decided to be obedient to my inner knowing, that inner wisdom, that inner guidance system? Some people use universe, use God, higher power, whatever you want to use it. What if I became more obedient to her? What would my life look like? How wow. would I trust Carlin again? And what yes. would that trust look like? Would my dreams be bigger? Would I be bolder? Will, will my personal risk factor increase? Like, what would that look like? So I became obedient. Um, fascinated by this whole obedience to to that and what that led me to actually though is one of the biggest lessons which i, I think is a kind of like a precursor prerequisite to, to obedience is surrendering so and that's why actually i got surrender <laughs> tattooed on my uh, legit tattooed on my if, if i could show you my arm right now you would see that i have surrender tattooed there because um every time i feel that resistance to be obedient to societal norms and conditions versus my own inner guidance and knowing and system, you know wisdom i look down and i surrender and that begins my process to dismantling that resistance and to begin the obedience yeah i know that's yeah. a long answer but yeah no no that's <laughs> it's brilliant because even the word surrender is another problematic word that for especially a lot of women and especially women of European descent, mm -hmm. they want to be fierce. They want to be badass because mm. of the way that history has, has how the, how history has placed them that the white women are damsels in distress. They need to be saved. So now they want to do the opposite. Mm -hmm. And then here you are, Carlin, you have your experiences you have um, you, you've tapped into your inner knowing and you're using these, these words that, make some bristle, obedience, surrender. And I think it's a beautiful reframe that you've shared with us. Thank you. Thank and you. I just love that. I just love that reframe. So thank may, you. May, may I ask, what, what is your relationship with obedience? I, I've had to reframe it myself, just like you. And part of that is tapping into my inner guidance it's unpacking my inner oppressor and that's what I call the shadow. Mm. And it's also tapping into my ancestors. And so the question I want to ask you is who do you bring to the table? Every room you go into, who mm. comes with you? In other words, who, what's your lineage? Oh, so good. Um, lately, especially this year. So I went back home in, in December, and by home, I'm in St. Lucia. I was born and raised in St. Lucia in a tiny village called Baslaboi. And my dad's mom, Granny Nelza, um, as I was going through the family photos and albums, there was this one photo, and I, I just can't describe it, you know, Lisa, but it was like, I just felt such a strong connection to her. I felt like she was speaking to me. She was telling me something, but I couldn't fully understand. So for this year, I find that her energy and her voice um, has just been such a strong presence in my life and in everything that I'm doing. So usually I'm walking in with her. I'm also walking in with my grandfather. My grandfather was a storyteller. Um, back home in St. Lucia, we speak French Creole. And every um, year in October, we have Creole Festival Month. 
Mm-hmm. And he was the the person who would be coined, you know, like that elder in the village, you know, who would be yes. <laughs> telling, you know, the stories and around the fire. And my one regret, though, is that I wish I paid more attention when he used to go and do those and go to go with him or even just pay more attention to the stories because there's very little that I know about his life and how he got, to, you know, to, to, to Caribbean and both sides, both my, my mom's um, parents and, and my dad's. Mm-hmm. But lately it has been on my mom's side, my grandfather, because he was a storyteller. He was also very stubborn and very strong in his conviction. And my grandmother, who was like the first entrepreneur, she had this little store where she sold candies and we had no electricity, no running water. So she could only sell, you know, those little goods that can, that have a shelf life. Right. Um, and I drew on the power a lot, but I also had this other aunt, Aunt Maggie, who has passed away a couple of years ago. She, her daughters left behind some of her jewelry for me. So there's this bracelet that I wear that's hers that has, again, given me so much strength. And sometimes I walk in with other Black women, other Black women who are just creating amazing things. So I prioritized, you know, putting my resources into buying clothes from Black or Caribbean designers or Indigenous, you know, Chickbone Beauty or Kayla Kay or Jama Face, all those, those brands. Um, I buy their products because I know how hard they worked to bring it to the market and on, on, on it's also on the sweat of all our ancestors so i also honor i guess you can see my lineage and the power the collective power of women women of color um i bring them in the room with me as much as i can and and the history of saint lucia is one where like many caribbean culture uh, countries has been in the hands of European colonizers. But what makes St. Lucia unique is that it it was almost like it batted back and forth between Britain and France and Britain and France. Yeah. How, yes. how, how much of that shows up in the culture of St. Lucia? This, this, this lack of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just a sense of, like it's almost like neither colonial power wanted the island. So I'll give it back to you. And No, no, yeah, you take yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you take yeah. it. <laughs> yeah seven times british seven times french and we often oh you know we sit yeah we actually recite that you know when you're in school and you're talking <laughs> like yes and we should the of the west and you know <laughs> but you know it was actually called you know even like hiranora which is an Arawak um language um um St. Lucia, the first inhabitants were caribs and Araraks, and you know part of one of the things that i'm very upset about is that we weren't fully a taught our history but also we were taught growing up and going back to seven times french seven times british there are parts of the village is actually french based so for example that la, where i come from bus laboui when people anglicize it they say bus laboui laboui but from a french crew we say bus laboui no dv4 Vieux means old fort view fort which is yes. the name so a lot of our villages and and small little I don't know if you, you want to call it a town, but they yes. were named after there's, there's a heavy French influence and it's there in our foods. But it's also then the resilience of the people because even just growing up, we were taught that French Creole is what the poor people spoke. And um, if you speak it, you're uncultured or you're uneducated and you don't have, you know, that, that 
that that je ne sais quoi that makes you a valid human. And it's so interesting how we inherit or we internalize, you know, that oppression, not realizing it was a way for the slave owners to keep us enslaved and not just through um, body work in terms of using our hands and, and but also our minds. They, they really, mm. we literally were calling that. You know, when you think about it, you take a step back and you think about it, you're like, holy crap, how much unpacking do I have to do? Right. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Lots. Um, and, and actually, my first reclaiming, I remember when I first moved to Canada, um, somebody was asking me about St. Lucia. And, and of course, everybody's just like, oh, yeah, it's such a cute island. Um, you know, but, and I'm like, yeah, but do you understand how French Creole came about? And that's when I went on a hunt. I found the first Carib dictionary written by an actual descendant. It was a, a Bayesian person, a Barbadian person. Wow. And I found that dictionary. I found a Carib dictionary. I found an Arab dictionary. And I actually started uh, my first, I guess you can say, um, um, how did John John Lewis call it? Good trouble. My first mm-hmm. good trouble. Yes, good trouble. Company called Bell Moon, and Bell Moon is a fusion oh. of French and French Creole. <laughs> Bell means beautiful. Moon means people, people of the land. Yes. And um, Bell Moon was just a T-shirt line, but it was celebrated in Caribbean history. So I had a T-shirt with Toussaint Louverture. I had a T-shirt with the Negma. I had a T-shirt with the Arawak, the different language. Halekwaba means how are you. So really, I, I really wanted to reclaim as much as we had English and French in St. Lucia. I'm like, but what about the Arabs and the Caribbean? Because they were the first inhabitants. Yes. But we don't hear much about them and we've lost this. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, and, that was my first. And so, the, and, and the follow-up to that is how important is it to embrace those, to embrace the Frenchness and the Britishness as part of your lineage despite how those colonial powers oppressed? Mm-hmm. Oh, such a good question. I think when you don't know your history, you lose parts of who you are. Yes. Um, you enter the room not fully understanding whose backs you're standing on. You walk through the world thinking you're missing something or you need something more, not realizing that you have everything you need with you for the journey ahead. So... To me, it's so important to acknowledge and understand that because by the byproduct of French Creole in itself, it was because seven times British, seven times French. We wanted to talk to each other. So the slave owners, the slave masters or the slave, you know, the, the people who enslaved us yes. couldn't understand what we were saying. It was, I, I see it as a, like, you know, reclaiming our, our joy. It's a resistance against, you know, the status quo. Like you can own, you know, Bob Marley, I call him my first self-help, my first spiritual teacher, <laughs> where he says that, you know, eman- emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but yes. ourselves can free yes. our minds. So I see that as a defiant act against the enslavement of our people, right? Wow. So, so it's so important for me. It's so important because then, because every time I now think about it and I, and I, and I, and now we have a French Creole dictionary, right? Because the more we started mm-hmm. talking about it, the more now we started reclaiming that part of our history. Can you imagine if that was lost completely? Wow. Can wow. you imagine? Like we'd be going around thinking like, oh, with French Creole, well, less than, no, we yes. came up with another language. We are strong people. And I think that in itself, it tells or it speaks to our resilience as, as individuals, as people who came from um, not so, I guess you can call it pleasant or not so, or who literally came from, from slavery. Our human rights were taken away from us. And this is what we came out 
of it with. So for me, that in itself, it's such a huge celebration and it's something we should be paying homage to every single day of our lives. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And so we're going to explore in more detail the work that you do, especially around emotional intelligence and how that helps us to unpack our biases and limiting beliefs. But before I do, uh, the question I have for you is how did your upbringing in St. Lucia prepare you for life in Canada and how did it not prepare you? Um, How did it prepare me? It, it prepared me by, you know, like I said, understanding the history of my island, my culture, where I come from, gave me a, a deep sense of pride. So I, I knew, you know, who I, who I was coming into Canada. But also on the flip side, it also did not prepare me because I didn't truly understand the power of my history and my ancestry. Right. Because when your story is told, and I'm pretty sure you've come across this whole term, terminology around Eurocentrism, Eurocentrism right? Mm-hmm. When our stories mm-hmm. are being yes. told from a Eurocentric lens and white people telling our story, they're missing out. They're leaving out so many different parts of us Very and true. who we are. Right. Very so true. you have this one sided view and you're, or you're also creating a narrative around your identity and who you are becoming from the lens of someone who don't, don't fully understand you. But most importantly, it's also coming from the lens of people who actually inflicted that, those violent acts against our ancestors. So when I moved to Canada, the cultural upbringing I had around, you know, respect, integrity, community, all of that, I just assume that every single thing I learned in the Caribbean in St. Lucia, it will serve me here. And I, it's business as usual. But when I moved here, there was this, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm black, I'm an immigrant. What? I'm less than? Oh, interesting. Oh, oh, okay. So there was this complete, you know, shock, first of all. Because there was so much I had to unlearn because in the Caribbean, for example, one of the cultural conditioning, um, I guess you can say, um, mindset that I grew up on was you work hard, you keep your head down, right? You respect your elders, you don't challenge authority, and you just do a good job and you'll be rewarded for it. I got here and actually it's quite the opposite. Oh, do not get ahead based on, you know, your hard work and, and right. merit. There's something called tokenism and there is anti-Black racism and there are oppressive structures that actually get in the way. No matter how hard you work, no matter how much you follow the rules, you're not going to get ahead as designed or as you were told. So it didn't prepare me. And I went on this huge journey of emotion, this emotional wave of, but very unpleasant emotions that I just, again, I didn't have language for. I didn't know what it was. There was shame. There was helplessness. There was guilt. There was fear. Cause I'm like, can I really survive here? Should I go back home? You know, experiencing microaggression, emotional attacks, you know, all those different, you know, racist acts and behavior that we go through in the workplace, but somehow society have normalized it. So everybody is like, well, it's okay. Black, you just chuck it up. You just figure it out some way, shape or form. But that's how the workplace is is structured. That's how Canada is structured. Um, So that led me to be really fascinated by the science of human behavior, but also emotions. What are emotions? And then I learned emotions is data. So being, getting into the world of of emotional intelligence taught me so much. It, It was such a great tool for me to not 
not only self-regulate, but it also gave me insight in terms of self-awareness. So using my emotional data to understand when my values are being compromised or when I feel like my boundaries are not being adhered to, or maybe um, I need to recommunicate my boundaries or in some cases, maybe create new boundaries because a situation or a circumstance or an interaction with another person or through the system will teach us about ourselves. So separating and understanding that emotions are data, and now I can take that data, understand it, analyze it, check it against my value systems and the things that matter to me, gave me insight to turn that emotions into emotional intelligence. So, so that was, yeah, and that began, I got so fast and I actually saw the change in my life and how I interacted with people, how I can build better relationships, how, how I can increase trust. And it became, I'm like, oh my gosh, everybody needs to know about this. How do I get certified? How do I teach the world? And that became my mission. Well, this is a wonderful segue into uh, digging deeper into your work around emotional intelligence and then LEAP, which is your signature program. But first, we're going to take a quick break. I just want to remind you, if you're listening, we're in conversation with Carlin Purcell. And we're going to take a message from one of our sponsors, and we'll be right back. My name is Julie Parker, and I am the CEO and founder of the Beautiful You Coaching Academy. When I first came across Lisa Renee Hall's work, uh, and in particular, the inner field trip, I'd already begun my anti-racism and anti-oppressive education, learning, unlearning, and journey. And I first came across Lisa on social media. Instagram in particular. And as I was exploring uh, my own inherent biases and need as a white woman to take stock and really look at my own privilege and areas of my life and work that required uh, a deeper anti-racism lens and active dismantling, I was incredibly drawn to Lisa's work and message. She had and still does have an amazing way of being able to express and explain things that is at once very straight shooting and also incredibly heartfelt and welcoming and opening. And that was what really prompted me to want to go deeper with her and join her Patreon community. And the inner field trip work that I have done with Lisa as a part of her community has helped me incredibly with my unconscious biases, many of which, which of course is related to the word unconscious, I never even really knew existed for me. And some of these things went right back to childhood around what I'd heard and seen and influences that I had grown up with that I never really understood or knew how deeply was impacting me as an adult woman in my relationships and my work today. And so the inner field trip work has supported me to have better and deeper relationships with people around me. It has improved my business from the perspective that I now believe that I have a a wider, deeper 
more compassionate lens uh, in everything that I do. And it's helped bring some deep-seated stuff, so to speak, to the surface and really address it. And it's complemented other forms of anti-bias training that I've done that may have and have had different focuses to the expressive writing and inner field trip work that Lisa does. It has just really blended seamlessly with those things where I've been looking at other things such as uh, equity, inclusion, and a variety of other areas that I've needed to look at in my life and business and still am because this inner field trip Lisa has helped me to understand is one for life. And so if you are thinking of becoming a patron of Lisa's, I just simply cannot recommend Lisa and her community enough. And one of the things that I really appreciate about Lisa and her community is that I have ebbed and flowed with the work in there. Sometimes I've chosen to to comment publicly about what I've been working on and doing, and other times I've just been doing the work privately. And Lisa holds such a magnificent space for that, uh, both. She holds the the, the duality of being front-facing with this and also more private, and I really, really appreciate that about her work. Lisa is doing life-changing, necessary, deeply important work that I think is not just for me in this lifetime, but indeed is for the benefit of all those who come after and around me as well. And I think the impact of that and her work with the inner field trip simply cannot be underestimated. Welcome back. My name is Lisa Renee Hall, and we are in conversation with Carlin Purcell. She's an author, speaker, and certified emotional intelligence and neuro life coach. And Carlin, you spent 23 years in tech, in the finance industry, so two male-dominated fields. <laughs> and I, I entered a tech field around the same time, and I remember it was like a gold rush. Anybody who graduated or had some sort of intelligence was hired for tech. I think we saved tech. I think our generation saved the tech industry. And so as you navigated this space as a, as a Black woman, as a Black immigrant woman, you talked about the emotional tax. Can you share more of what that is? The emotional tax is something I think we don't talk about enough, but I think there's more and more research and data coming out around it. Um, emotional tax is the the tax that people of color, and it was research done, the definition I'm sharing is by Catalyst, Catalyst Canada, um, which is a nonprofit that focuses on creating workplaces that work for, for women, for all women, define emotional tax as as a a tax that you pay for being different at work, um, where people of color are on guard because of our differences, um, because we have to code switch, we have to cover, um, getting rid of your accent, for example, is one, um, changing your name so that you can fit into the culture. Um, And for a lot of us, we don't realize that we are on guard we don't realize, like our bodies can feel the violent impact of being in an, in an oppressive state or state or place, sorry. Yes. 
But yes. what we do is that we force our way through it. So that emotional tax, like in layman terms, that's, that's, that's you know, how I describe it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, like, it's like the shock of being in a space that you know that's not safe for you. But again, we are often, especially as Black women and as racialized people, we, we are, we're often put in a place where we have to choose. Do I stay and put up with it? Or do I stay, do I, do I leave, sorry? Or do I stay and put up with it? Because A, I have to feed my family. Especially if you're an immigrant, you have to send money back home. You have to take care of the, of the, of the wider um, extended family network. Wow. So that emotional tax is a tax a lot of us carry. We don't realize we're carrying it, but we carry it every single day of our lives in the workplace and it's costing us and it impacts our ability to thrive in the workplace and it has a negative impact on our overall mental and emotional well-being. Wow. I'm, I'm just sitting with that because it's, um, it feels heavy. Mm-hmm. And it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's very heavy. Um, and when I look at, especially through the work that we do, this is why every time I go into the work, I ask organizations. And that's actually sparked another project that we created called the Wellbeing Playbook, because that violent act against self, it's, you know, we don't see it because it's happening internally, right? Yes. <laughs> it's happening internally, and especially for us Black women, we get the notification from our bodies because emotions are data, right? And that emotion, yes. is, and emotions is a bodily sensation. So that means you need to pay attention to your inner world. And this is why I love, you know, your work around, you know, inner field trip because a lot of us don't take enough inner field trips. <laughs> We're mm-hmm. so busy, mm-hmm. you know, looking at the path or looking at what others are doing we forget that in order to prepare for the journey ahead, the first thing you need to do is to go on an inner field trip. So it's, 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 it's understanding that that act, that force, that, 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 that betrayal that we put ourselves through every single day, it's costing us a lot. And it's important for us to take a step back, pay attention to that inner data, that emotional data um, or whatever comes up. And now use that information to decide how you want to step forward. And for a lot of us, we can't. No, you can't leave the workplace. You, you're a part of it. You have to be there. So this is why with the Wellbeing Playbook, we're now petitioning organizations. You need to provide more racially and culturally diverse workplace wellness facilitators, um, experts, options for racialized and culturally diverse individuals. Because currently the way your workplace wellness program is set up, it does not acknowledge the emotional tax people of color go through. And most importantly, your all your cast of all white coaches, therapists, et cetera, et cetera. Again, yeah. you are serving white people only, and you are telling by exclusion what you are saying is that black lives and racialized lives don't matter. And this is the dehumanization we don't talk about enough in corporate. Um, um, um Lisa, everybody yes. keeps talking. We 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 tend to focus very much on well, but look at what it did to George Floyd. It's so wrong, and absolutely it is wrong. And we're losing lives every day. We see it, but we forget to talk about the years that have been shaved off the lives of Black women and women of color in the workplace, just because we don't see it, we don't believe it, and we don't talk about it enough. But I think having those conversations is how we will start dismantling the, oppress- the oppressive structures that's, that's costing so many of us, not just our health, but all, uh, the, 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 the shortening the lifespan of, of individuals in the corporate space. And why do, you believe, why do you think that so many are so afraid to go within and explore I told you about that emotional wave. It's 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 it creates havoc. Like it it it's messy. It's, it's messy. <laughs> yes, it's so 
messy. And it's, it's like ripping the rug from underneath your feet. Yeah. It's like shaking up everything. Everything that you have held to be true that you know, that you believe in, it will threaten it. And I know that it will threaten it in a good way because I've given myself permission to go through it. But if you don't have that self-resilience or self-management tools in your toolkit or in your toolbox, um, people will not go on that trip. And, you know, we know words about like white fragility, which is what is what's happening right now with the whole anti-racism, right? Um, yes. World, as, as we create more better humans who are actively anti-racist, you know, you hear a lot of people bemoaning and, and not wanting to do the work because it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But this is where growth begins outside of your comfort zone. This is where we begin the journey. Um, so, so for us, and I think part of it goes back to childhood. I wish, you know, social emotional learning was something that was prioritized for us as children. But even within our culture, you, you, never, you don't see people cry or talk about the struggles. You hear about the struggles externally, like, you know, like family members talk or people talk in society, in the community, but they don't bring it back home and, and, and to teach us how to ride that emotional wave. So as adults, as the brain reflects on, do I have the capacity and the tools to deal with this like re-upping of my entire life? The answer is yes. But mm-hmm. if you haven't given yourself permission to do that or to tap into those resilience tools that we all innately have, then you would avoid it at all costs because you don't feel capable. Helplessness will set in, shame will set in, and then that keeps people stuck in the current position in life. And so you talked about, so we we talked about the emotional tax that people of color expend within the workplace. And here you are a certified emotional intelligence coach. It's like, it's, it feels like the opposite. It's like, here's the emotional tax you pay, but become more resilient using emotional intelligence. So share with, share with me how emotional intelligence, it's, as you said, it's, it's another form of data. How does that help your clients? Uh, mm. First of all, how does it inform your work? And then how does it help your clients to be able to have the courage mm. to look within and then to move forward and grow? Mm. Such a great question. Um, change is about breaking old conditioning with its habits, thoughts, behavior. At the end of every experience, what we create is an emotion. So when you're changing or you're creating a new version of yourself or you want to improve what is your communication skills or how you show up at work or in life, you're literally saying, I'm ending a contract with my old self, which is my old emotional self, which by the way, emotions are also addictive. So it means that you're literally saying, hey, I want to get off this emotional wave of complicity or compliance or, and, and, and none of it is bad. Emotions are not bad. But what ends up happening is that in order for you to create a new emotional imprint, it means that the brain, because every thought we have, the brain releases a chemical concoction in your body. That chemical concoction, so for example, if it's something that you know already, like, like you love, let's say you love apples, Every time you have an apple, you know, those endorphins are going to come, you know, your that feel good vibe. Because when you bite into an apple, you chew into it. It's crunchy. It's sweet. Maybe it has a little bit of tartness. Ooh, you know what you're going to get when you bite into that apple because you love it. You've created an experience, an emotional reaction. And there's an emotional imprint for that apple. But now I'm telling you, Lisa, today I don't want you to eat an apple. I want you to try, an, an, uh, you know, a lime. Mm-hmm. Ooh, <laughs> your, brain, your body is like, ooh, a lime. 
I, I don't know. I don't have any associative emotions with that particular task because it's not something I do because the Lyme is like a new experience, right? It's the same thing for life. So before the brain is like a predictive machine. So it tries to create meaning to decide, hey, am I safe or not? Its default is to look for the danger spots, which comes from our prehistoric times. We inherited this brain from our ancestors. When they went out to hunt for food, they had to pay attention to every little rustle, every little noise in the bush. Right. right. It might be dinner as opposed to bringing <laughs> dinner home. <laughs> so as we evolved, our brain did not evolve for our current day. Setting. So now we have to teach it to do that. We, we teach it by being mindful and being conscious of the information we take in, but also by actively engaging with the life that we have in front of us. So the only way for you to now enter, you know, the, the lemon world and, and, and make, be, make it to become something that you like or you want to be a part of your future is to actually create an experience with the, with the, with the lemon. Bite it. Mm, feel the taste. Ooh, it's sour. Mm, what is that? Oh, like give your body an opportunity to create that new neural pathway that is now attached to that particular lemon. We mm. can't do it. in yeah, I, I mean, the, the brain is so powerful. It has the ability for you to visualize what that can look like. Because if I ask you, oh, Lisa, close your eyes. Mm-hmm. Imagine biting into a lemon. What's coming up for you? I think, it, I, I, you know, the sourness of, <laughs> of the... Right? Yeah, that's what it, that's what comes right? to mind. That's what yeah, but you don't have an actual lemon in your. But the brain has the ability for it to ha- create that visualize th- th- that visualization, yes. and the body mimics the reaction because it's preparing itself to receive that because now you've told it, right? That hey, expect a lemon. That's what I'm going to bite into. So it's the same thing for our life experiences, right? In order for you to become anti-racist or whatever it is that new thing that you're you're trying to 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 to, to capture. You have to understand the emotional data around it. So emotional intelligence helps us. And one of the pillars is all around self-awareness, right? Yes. Where am I on my continuum for change? What is my inner change management system or process? What do I have to go through first? How does change resonate in my mind, in my body, in my thoughts? Do I go back to eight-year-old Carlin when my world, probably my most visceral memory of when I went through change or am I am I the 15 year old Carlin or even if I go back to eight year old Carlin I understand her inner field trip like I know what trip she's been on so I can actually meet her at Mm -hmm. the part of the journey that I know I need to bring in the resilience into the present to remind myself oh I've done this before okay I have the capacity there's a little bit of fear but it's okay I have the capacity for me to do that. So this is what emotional intelligence, the gift, I would say, of emotional intelligence, that ability to be self-aware, that ability to now, you know, manage those emotions. So so it gives us the capacity to self-control, know when we need to pivot. So adaptability, flexibility, it really helps us to know when we need to make those changes. But most importantly, what I really love about, so the first part, you know, and Danielle Goldman um, is the father of emotional intelligence. And also there's another, you know, um, framework that I use, but I like Danielle Goldman's because it's quite simple because it's just four areas, self-awareness and self-management. And once you're able to master those two, this gives us the, 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 um, the skill set we need for social awareness. And social awareness can now be capitalized into social intelligence, which helps us with relationship management. And with social awareness, this is where empathy comes in. This is where, oh, 
I, Carlin, went on that inner field trip, an eight-year-old me, I understand how hard it was for her to move past, you know, that point where she was able to understand her pain, understand the betrayal, and now use that information to be more resilient. So with that empathy, so now I'm working with what is in a relationship or in a work relationship or your personal relationship with your partner, when you're going through a change in your relationship or you're dealing with a very difficult boss in the workplace or in your business, whatever the situation might be, when you're on that emotional journey, now that self-awareness can give you insight so that you can self-manage. But also as you're dealing with the person, you're now able to extend empathy with them because now you understand what it actually took for you to get to a place where you can feel seen and heard for you to manage your inner, I'll use your language, your inner oppressor, because you understand your inner oppressor is just bringing you information, right? Mm -hmm. It's not telling you that's who you are. So emotional intelligence gives us the capacity for us to see ourselves in our wholesomeness and understand that contrast. I often say confusion is the beginning of clarity. Contrast begins with resistance, right? Say it again. Say it again. (laughs) Contrast is the beginning of resistance. That's what I said. I don't even know. It was just coming. But (laughs) (laughs) and and all of that is, again, it's information. I think we are so quick to come to an assumption and we forget to enjoy the journey. Life is a journey. Getting to know yourself is a journey. And with that social awareness, you can now say, oh, I understand why Tom, Bob, Sandra, Harry reacted (laughs) that way to me. Mm-hmm. I now understand. So now you're in your final quadrant, which is around relationship management. You can influence, you can mentor, you can be an active listener, you can be a better collaborator and teamwork because now you understand what's at play. Why? Because you understand self, you're able to manage self, and now you can hold space and mirror what's needed for that person as they go on the journey together. And that is the power of emotional intelligence. And that is why it's so necessary for any change that we're going through in life because without that ability and capacity for us to manage our emotional data, we become slaves to what our inner guidance system tells us. We're just now reacting as opposed to responding. I always say reacting is a reenactment of the past, meaning you're operating from your blind spots, from your unconscious bias. Responding means that you are recreating a scenario or you are you are you are using the presence to create a more intentional and impactful interaction with someone i love that contrast is the beginning of resistance so much and so you have the success planner you have this uh, program leap that's designed for leaders you work with corporate you uh, are on media i see you all the time sharing your beautiful wisdom with um with those in the media who, who want to share your message with their listeners, with their viewers. And so as, and, and, and I remember back in the Harry Jerome awards day when mm-hmm. um, I remember I, one year I won the award for innovation and tech and innovation or tech and innovation. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw you on stage. I think it was the first time I was like, Oh my gosh, this woman's beautiful. She's gorgeous. <laughs> she had this big dress. I think it was green. I have a feeling it was a, a green or blue dress. It was big. And you just commanded not just the stage, but the room, the event. And I thought to myself, this woman's beautiful. She's gorgeous. And of course, looking at your feed, beauty. And, and it's just beautiful, both in your message and how you present yourself. So my question is this. 
how do you, what, well, what advice do you have for us as we're stumbling about? Mm. How do we maintain our beauty in all of this? Such a good question. And thank you. Yeah. Um, by understanding that stumbling is the beauty of this journey. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Like by understanding that stumbling teaches you about the deepest parts of yourself that has been either hidden from you. It could be because of oppression or um, lack of your ability, you know, your, your inability to sit with yourself. Because we talked about how hard it is to ride that emotional wave of change stumbling is where we gain our strength and actually stumbling is where we get to decide how we want to take up space in the world because sometimes you have to get knocked off where you are in order for you to understand that this has this is bad for your posture this is not serving you but you have just been you just gotten comfortable where you stand in so you've convinced yourself that this is your reality and this is how good this is the only way you can get what you want out of life. So I think stumbling is so necessary because stumbling reintroduces us to our highest selves. Because when you're down on that ground and you can see the dirt, you stumble, however you stumble, if that stumble took you right to the ground, you get to observe where you are. You get to look at that dirt. You get to look at behind you. Or if you're on your back, look up on top. And the only thing you can do it go from there is up. So stumbling teaches you how do you want to get up? Who do you want to get up as? You get to choose. And I don't know if people realize the beauty. They don't. They and don't. the privilege of stumbling. Yeah. Because it teaches you so much about yourself. So I'm a stumbler. <laughs> oh, I, love I, it. I stumble all I, the time. I'm a stumbler too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We need to start a hashtag. I'm a stumbler. <laughs> well, I, I do have a hashtag that I've been using, stumble bravely. That yes, has really I love that. Yeah, so it's caught on with my followers. And at the end of the day, I want to I want to read this quote that you have and, and we're gonna close this this conversation. And a quote that you posted, which is something that I like to say as well, that the work of anti-racism is the work of becoming a better human ah. to other humans. And so as we're stumbling about and we get up and we decide that, yeah, I want to be a better human, or sometimes I say be become a better ancestor. Mm-hmm. How do you prioritize your self-care mm. as you're holding space for other people to stumble, to get up, to, to build their resilience? How do you prioritize your joy? Oh, thank you. And that quote is actually not mine. It's a quote by Austin Channing Brown. who's a racial Oh, yes, I see it now. From, yes, oh yes. Austin Channing Brown. She Oops. is awesome. I love her. No, no, Austin, no, no. sorry. Sorry. Austin, sorry, yes, hon. It's yeah, Austin's it's your quote. quote and, and it's her quote. And I've been sharing it with everyone because I think it is the most the, the most simple and most Im- impactful and profound definition of what it means to do this anti-Black racism work or any kind of work that you're doing is that, right? How do I prioritize by really paying attention to my inner guidance system? Um, some days um, it tells me to get down on your knees and you better clean those baseboard girls. You <laughs> shut that door. <laughs> Mop, my tiny little condo, which I'm very grateful for, very privileged to have, you're going you're gonna to clean. Yes. And, and I don't know how to describe it, and, but it's, it's every single day, it's different. But one of the things that has been consistent that I give my time space for, I create space in the morning to journal, maybe listen to music, do my meditation, color. 
haven't I haven't colored you know for the, for the last little bit the color, and I I'm very fortunate to live close to the lake to the water and that's my you know as a Pisces with a Moon and Taurus, nature mm -hmm. and water are two of my biggest pillars when it comes to self care. So there are days I just go out there depending on how depleted I am. I just lay on the grass. I do nothing, or I go sit by the lake with a book, with my coloring pens. Um, I do things like that. But also there are days where I just need silence. So I, 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 I have different tools that I use. And in the success planner, which I designed to help people on the journey to becoming a better human, um, there is a section where you can color as well. Um, you can actually track your habits. Um, and what I love about the planner, and not just because I created it, but <laughs> every month I cite Black women. Because we've been excluded from so much. And, you know, even like I, I tell you, I quote you all the time. I love the quote that you have around the intellectualization of racism, which yes. has created a gap between performative and true accountable action. Right. Yes. It has yes. given people this permission slip and we need to move from intellectualization to emotionalization. And emotionalization is where we get to truly understand our needs. So I try to pay attention to my emotional data because it tells me what I need the most. But these are some areas. And some days it looks like just drinking enough water, girl. Some days it looks mm. like minding your business. You ain't got to respond to that. <laughs> You, you, no, you know you don't. No, you don't. You're going to keep moving. Close Instagram or close Twitter. And you're going to keep moving. So some days it looks like this. And then uh, every day it looks like staring at pictures of my nieces and nephews. They bring me so much joy. Yes. My four-year-old niece, she's in St. Lucia. But she knows how to use the phone. When we're doing uh -huh. our WhatsApp call, she knows how to empty look. And she turns it around. And I'm like, how do you know? Like, what? Yes. So she, you know, inspires me every day. My nieces, Jan, Lenny, and my nephews, we have 10 of them. I'm so blessed. But wow. also just seeing my parents, like my dad learned how to read and write when he was, what, in his 50s, I think? Wow. He went back to night school. I'm also very inspired by their resilience. Self-care looks like me. I send them little notes and little quotes. I send, when I'm on TV, sometimes I send them a, a note and I'm like, hmm, I don't know if she's going to see it. I'm like, Ma, just press the link. <laughs> so teaching, watching my 70s, my parents in the 70s use you know, WhatsApp, use, use, use a tablet. It's so fascinating because we grew up without electricity, without running water, like none of those things. But I'm so inspired by them, seeing them do that because now our connection is a more frequent and I can just send them a quote or to say hi. And now my mom is typing. So that in itself and also really just staying connected to that source is such a huge form of self-care for me because um, sometimes being away, you know, from your family and not being apart, being close to them, um, I miss them. So it's, it's, it, it really helps me to create that really wholesome and holistic um, self-care routine that I can just pull on anytime I need it. Beautiful. And, it, and it's important that we incorporate aspects of self-care while doing this work to become better humans. Yes. Yes. Very important. And also we can't do the work alone. It's really great to stumble together. Yes. Right. Because if I see you on the road and you stumble and you just want to rest, I'll honor that. But if I see you on your stumble and you're like, I need a hand. Can you help me get up? Then I can help you get up because I have stumbled and I understand and I know. So I know how to support you in your stumbleness. So community, which we have through Sister Talk Leadership Group and Wellness Academy, we bring BioWalk women together um, for um, mini masterclasses. The lot, we did one during COVID on how to take care of yourself as a, as a racialized woman or um, 
self-identifying person of color. Um, and we did seven week series, bringing different speakers to talk about, you know, trauma, self-care, all the things. And um, right now we're doing one for BIWOC women um, uh, in business, a mentorship circle for business. So community is also a huge part of that self-care because yes. it's so important to have community when you're going on this journey. That is a wonderful way to end this conversation and and such a great remi- uh, reminder about all the different ways that self-care shows up. It's not about just manicures, pedicures, and massages, but it's about creating the space so that you can continue to, to do this work so it's sustainable over the, the long haul. Any, any last words of advice that you have? I know I said that I know I just said, oh, this is a great place to end this, but I have uh, <laughs> I probably have some bit of wisdom oh. that you'd like to share. Um, so much. I, 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 I want women, everybody who's listening to this, I want them to dream bigger. And I want them to dream bigger for in three different ways. Dream a bigger you. If you can reconnect to your inner child or to use your language again, which I love, your inner oppressor. Ask them, what are you afraid of? Um, What's getting in the way of you dreaming bigger? Reconnect to all the different parts of you. Meet you where you are. You don't need to change anything or be better or any of that. Just meet you where you are and ask yourself, are you dreaming big enough for the you that you are becoming? And the second category I want people to dream bigger in is dream with your family and your ancestors. Like what is the collective family dream? What dreams did your family, your ancestors begin or might have thought of beginning. And you can find that out by just staying connected to them and asking them for guidance. And the third one is to dream within the power of the collective community or that, co- that power of, you know, better, a better humanity. What will that look like? If I ask you, Lisa, let's dream big together for Black women, what will that look like? I'll have some ideas, of course, right? It's coming from my lens and my perspective, which largely is informed by my experiences, but when you add to it and another person add to it, a trans woman add to it, or somebody who identify with an invisible disability, and we bring the collective together and we dream bigger so that when I'm in a room and I can put forth your dream, then I can bring you along with me and I can fight for you on your behalf. Because I think that's the only way for us to truly move the collective forward and create a better humanity and society where my little nieces and nephews and, and, and everybody else is listening can have a chance in this world to be free, to truly liberate themselves and to live the highest version of who they are before they exit this earth in their physical bodies. Thank you, Carlin. Thank you. you. You're amazing. You're beautiful. I love you. And thank you you for sharing so much. And we were in conversation with Carlin Purcell. She's an author, speaker, and certified emotional intelligence and neuro life coach. Again, thank you, sis, for sharing your wisdom.